was supposed to do the Emmaus retreat this weekend, but it got canceled, so I'm thankful to be here. Actually, I guess we should say it's postponed. If anybody wants to go on an awesome retreat, uh, let me know and we'll get you connected. Uh, It's just down the road and a a great opportunity to grow in your faith. Anyway, to what we're after today, we'll be looking at Luke's gospel this week. And uh, we're wrapping up the Christian year. The last Sunday of the Christian year will be next Sunday. And then uh, the Christian New Year starts November 27th. Um, And so as we wrap up the year together, uh, Jesus is talking with his disciples about preparing for challenging times. Preparing for challenging times. It was his last week on earth. He knew the cross was right before him. And uh, as a result, he wanted to make sure his disciples were ready for an uncertain future. And uh, I don't know about you, but it oftentimes feels like we need to be ready for an uncertain future. Uh, Whether it's inflation, uh, an up and down economy, uh, or other things like war in Ukraine, um, we need to be ready for an uncertain future. And so Jesus tries to help us and give us wisdom with this in the story today from Luke 21, starting in verse 5. And here's how the story goes. Now, some of Jesus' disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I'm he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. And then he said to him, A nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be a great earthquakes and famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, they will seize you and persecute you They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you'll defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Uh, In a different version it says, by endurance you will gain your soul. I like that a little better. By endurance, you'll gain your soul. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we give thanks for your teaching, for your help, for your guidance. We need it in these days, in these uncertain times. And Father, by the help of your Holy Spirit, most of all, help us stake our life in faith and endurance, trusting in you to take care of us, no matter what comes today or tomorrow or the weeks and years ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, from the story, the disciples are in Jerusalem with Jesus. As I said, it's their final week in Jerusalem. They don't know that. Jesus does. He knows he's headed to the cross. And, and as they're in the temple, um, they're looking around at this incredible building that has been built for worship and the beautiful stones that are there and uh, you know the decorations and all that that people have given and donated to make it even more awesome than, say, our church sanctuary next door. And as the disciples are looking at this, in their minds, they're thinking, man, this is awesome, this is beautiful, this will last forever. But Jesus, again, it's his final week, and I think maybe partially because of that, he says, no, not exactly. See all this stuff? No matter how beautiful it is, no matter how long you think it'll last, it's going to be torn down and destroyed. And, uh, and I think one of the things Jesus takes the chance to remind his disciples, because again, he knows this week he is going to die. They're going to be frightened to death. They're going to be hiding. Uh, you know, they're going to be burying themselves under rocks. You know, it, and he sees, I think, this is an opportunity to prepare their mentality um, for the future. And mentality in life really makes a tremendous difference. You know, um, yeah, I've been keeping up with uh, Georgia Tech football, right? We got University of Georgia football, and we got Georgia Tech football, right? Yeah, thank you, Janine. Yeah. He says it's like this. We'll see in two weeks. It probably is. Um, but one of the differences you see between teams up here and teams down here, it's mentality, it's confidence, it's belief. Winning teams develop this incredible mentality that for the whole game, they're focused, they're in the zone, and, and they're, uh, you know, they're battling. And I think Jesus brings up this topic for that very purpose to remind us that life is not really easy. Days are going to be uncertain. But Jesus wants his disciples and us to have a strong mentality to face uncertain days, to face the challenges, to face the battle. Uh, and so with that, they ask the obvious questions, the same questions that you and I have probably been asking ourselves for, you know, our lives, and that is, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? Jesus, get us ready. Prepare us so that we are ready for those days. And so how does he do that? Well, he gives us really three areas that he looks at with some depth, and so we want to go through those areas uh, today. 
the first area he tells them is watch out who you follow. People of God, be careful who you follow. Leadership in our world is so important and critical. And to make a bad choice in leadership can harm whole host of stuff, right? He says, don't follow people that will lead you astray, that, are, that say, I'm the Messiah, the time is near. You know, watch out for people that are so charismatic. We just, you just go headlong in and say, ah, oh, let's follow them wherever they go. They're telling, you know, especially watch out for people that tell you what you want to hear. You know, I think a lot of times when we think bad leadership, we think that bad in our, you know, polarized structure. If we're conservative, we think, oh, the Antichrist or the bad leader is going to be a progressive, and I'll be able to recognize that person. And if we're progressive, we think, no, no, the the bad leader is going to be a conservative, and I will recognize that person. Guys, the issue is, is you've got to realize the enemy in your own camp. That is where the danger is, is not seeing the enemies in your own camp. And Jesus warns us about that. He says, look at their fruit. Bad trees don't produce good fruit. Good trees produce good fruit, bad trees don't. And so in, in, you know, we just have come off a week of voting for leaders and choosing leaders. And what kinds of leaders do you think Jesus wants us to look for? Well, from my perspective, it, it's not leaders with a tremendous amount of pride. It's not leaders that are hungry for power. Um, instead, when I look for leaders, I look for um, Sermon on the Mount leaders. Sermon on the Mount leaders. You know what Sermon on the Mount leaders look like, right? Uh, they, they embrace the beatitudes of love for God and love for others. Um, they go the extra mile. I'm a part of Rotary. You know, the motto of Rotary is service above self. Strong leaders have service above self, right? Um, they love their enemies. They love and respect their enemies. If you find leaders that, that try to destroy the other side, that's not a leader I want to follow. They go the extra mile. I think those are the kind of leaders that, that Jesus is talking about. The greatest example that I know of that America has been blessed with is a fellow by the name of General George Washington. Those are the kind of leaders that I wish we had more of. You know, at the birth of our nation, people came to George Washington and said, we'll make you the king. You want to be the king? No, I don't want to be the king. So then they kind of come up with our constitution and having a president and all that kind of thing, and they say, well, president, we'll make you president. He says, okay, I'll be president. You know, it's 
I don't know that he was excited about it, but he knew that people wanted him to do that, right? And as he goes into that office, they say, okay, what are we going to call you? We can call you your highness. We can call you, you know, the, the high and holy president. What do you want us to call you? Mr. President. That's it. Mr. President. That's it. After four years in office, he was ready to be done and go home. But the nation had just barely begun to get started. And there was chaos and division and faction in the government, kind of like today. And they said, please, Washington, another four years. He said, okay, I'll, I'll do another four years. He serves another four years and then retires and walks away from the presidency, setting up a pattern implicitly in our brains that Thomas Jefferson would also kind of stake as his own, that two terms of president is enough. That's enough. Those are the kind of leaders we need. Those are the kind of leaders we need to follow. Humble leaders who come to serve, who come to love and serve the whole country and everybody, not just their base. So anyway, those are the first advice Jesus has for us. And I'll add this. You know, because we think, well, we never let a bad leader lead us. I mean, we think that. But I got asked this question, then why did Germany allow Adolf Hitler to be in charge? Why did Russia allow Vladimir Putin to continue to be in charge after, what, 20, 25 years? Why? They're charismatic. They talk a good game. They get most of the country behind them. And away they go. And they stay in power for a long, long time. You know, to me, those are all lessons that if it can happen in Germany, if it can happen in Russia, it could happen here. And it's on the church of Jesus to remember the kind of leader we're called to follow and to choose wisely and well. So those are thoughts. The second thing he goes on to is uh, to, to watch out for that kind of escalation of bad stuff, Right? Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. He says, listen, don't be frightened by all these things. These things must happen first, but the end still will not come right away. He talks about famines and plagues and all this. And I know like with COVID, I know it went through probably most everybody's mind, right? During COVID, oh, the end must be near, right? We've never seen anything like this. And it's bad, and people are sick, and people are dying, right? And so we, that runs through our mind. When is the end of the world? Is this it? You know, we've been through bad wars and all this other stuff going on, and there are famines, and there are earthquakes, and we see all this stuff happening. Are we closer to the end? And the answer is yes, we're closer than we were yesterday. But I can't tell you how close that is to being to the end, right? We're more capable of destroying our planet today than we were in the past both with nuclear weapons and perhaps with climate change kind of stuff, right? And the challenges that come with that. And so, yes, 
closer to the end, but I think Jesus, again, refers to all this stuff just to recognize that these are earthly challenges that have been going on for thousands of years, that will be going on for thousands of years. The only thing that's really changed today is that we can know about all of them going on all around the planet at the same time in an instant, right? You know, if 200 years ago, if something happened in China, you didn't know about it for months. But now you can know about it right when it happens. And so that's different, I think. And so I'll read you a little statement uh, that I read today. This, this is what it says about these verses. Perhaps you're anxious, brothers and sisters, at the fact that we hear constantly of the tumult of wars and the onset of battles. Perhaps your love is still more anxious since these are taking place in our times the reason is the closer we are to the destruction of the world, the closer we are to the kingdom of the Savior. The Lord himself says, in the last days, nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. When you see wars, earthquakes, famines, know that the kingdom of God is at hand. The nearness of wars shows us that Christ is near. Now, doesn't that sound like it was preached yesterday? Right? No, it could be preached. That was 400 AD, Maximus of Turin. Right? Maximus of Turin lived through the destruction of Rome by the barbarians. And both Turin, you know, Maximus, and Augustine and others looked at that and said, man, we must be close to Jesus' return. Right? And so I think Jesus mentions these things you know, I think you can make an argument that, that when more start to happen all at once, then yes, that's a sign the end is getting close. But it's also, I think Jesus is just saying, this stuff is a part of a challenging world. It's part of an uncertain world. Get used to seeing these things, and these things will set up the end, but they're not the end. If anything is the end, and it doesn't talk about it here, but in Matthew... It's the idea that when we proclaim the good news of Jesus to every tribe, people, and nation, and tongue, where everybody hears, uh, believes, and has a church, then the end will come. To me, that's one of the greatest signs. When we've got Christian churches in the Muslim Middle East and in uh, you know, uh, Hindu Indi India, um, when those kind of things happen, then we know that the end is getting near. That's a better, to me, that's a better representation than, you know, wars and famines and plagues and earthquakes. Because those have been, you know, I mean, gosh, the, the plague killed half of Europe in, what, 1500 A.D. or something. Or maybe earlier than that, 1300 A.D., something like that. Killed half of Europe. And we're still here, you know, 500 years later. So, anyway. So his second point is, you know, watch for these things, but just they're part of being a part of a fallen world. And then the third thing he says is, before any of this happens that moves us toward the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of time, and the destruction of Jerusalem, the, I meant to mention the temple has already been destroyed, right? We know there's not a temple in Jerusalem. That actually happened within 40 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. Within two generations, Rome came in, destroyed the temple, and by 130 AD, they'd kicked all the Jews out of Israel. 
right? And they didn't go back until 1948, by and large. So, so, so the prophecy here that Jesus speaks about, that part about Jerusalem already has occurred. I guess there's a question of whether it might occur again to set up the end of time, and, and those are things we could keep an eye on. But the last piece is the piece of before all these things happen, you'll be seized and persecuted for your faith. Before all these things happen, you'll be seized and persecuted for your faith. You'll be sent before kings and judges. You'll bear witness to me. Don't worry about what to say. I'll tell you what to say. It'll be persuasive. Uh, you'll be handed over by parents and brothers and sisters and all these things. And because of the challenge of persecution, Jesus' main advice is stand firm and you will win your life. Or as I said, by endurance, by endurance you will possess your soul. By endurance you'll possess your soul. And so the challenge for us today is that mentality piece. In uncertain times with inflation, in uncertain times with, you know, uh, 9-11 and the destruction of the World Trade Center, in uncertain times where there's a war in Russia and Ukraine and we wonder if, if there could be any nuclear stuff going on with that eventually. In uncertain times, it's our mentality as Christians that's an important piece. Stand firm and buy endurance. Flame your soul. Especially in times of persecution. Now, we live in the United States and most of us would say, you know, I hope you'd say, I haven't, how many have faced a lot of persecution for Jesus' sake in the last week? Right? We are very, very blessed. And I know some people think, well, it's coming and it's coming and, it, and maybe it is. I don't know. It, it probably is to more degrees. But it's throughout Christian history, persecution has been a huge part of the Christian story. And in much of the world, right here, right now, in the Middle East, even some sense in Russia and other places, persecution in China, all these places has been huge. It's been a normal part of people's lives for years. And, and very different from anything that we have to experience. Um, one guy, this is Nick Ripkin. I'm going to read a couple of his stories to wrap up. Nick says this, he's been... He's gone to American churches, and people come up to him after and say, Nick, do you think there's going to be more persecution in America? And he says, no, I don't think so, because the devil has us all asleep as it is. You know, we really don't share Jesus. We don't talk about Jesus a whole lot. We don't, you know, we, 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 we kind of stay quiet about our faith in America. So, you know, why would, why would the evil one want to stir that up, you know? If we start sharing Jesus and talking about Jesus, uh, then then that would totally turn things upside down. Um, and that's part of the point. When he says persecution in here, it's persecution because of the name of Jesus. It's not persecution because I'm uh, a, a conservative, right? It's not I'm persecuted because I'm progressive and those things. It's being persecuted because of the name of Jesus Christ. And, and that is the key is the source of that persecution. And so I'll share with you two stories to, to kind of wrap this up. The first story I'll share is of a young lady and her experience of being in America. She's from the Middle East. Her name is, uh, let me see if I can pronounce it, Samira. Samira 
He's from the Middle East. He had visions of Jesus. He found a Bible. He talked to a conservative imam, which is, you know, their, their priest, their, their teacher. And she came to faith in Christ. After coming to faith in Christ, she had to leave her country because of it. And uh, she got hired by the UN to uh, work in refugee camps, taking care of women who had been raped by the Taliban. And she would take the cases of these women to, to kind of prosecute the leaders of the Taliban who had violated these women. And so the Taliban was mad at her. They, all these people, they want to see her dead. But she's found Jesus. She's following Jesus. She has led 30 women to faith in Jesus and, uh, and just has this incredible ministry in the Middle East. Well, things finally become so dangerous, they extradite her and bring her to America, and Nick and his wife host her for a week in their home in Kentucky. And while they're at their home in Kentucky, uh, they take her to a morning worship service a lot like this, right? And this was her experience. She spent a week in our home. We took Samara to a mid-sized church in central Kentucky for a Sunday morning worship. It just so happened that there was a baptism service scheduled for that morning. An entire family, mother, father, and two children were to be baptized. As their baptism progressed, with this young lady believer from a Muslim background sitting in a pew between Ruth and me, I noticed Samira beginning to fidget, twisting and turning and rocking backward and forward. It was as if she was having an anxiety attack. So in a quiet whisper, I asked her if there was anything wrong. Samira tugged on the sleeve of my jacket. She whispered forcefully in my ear, I cannot believe this. I cannot believe that I have lived long enough to see people being baptized in public. An entire family together. No one is shooting at them. No one is threatening them. No one will go to prison. No one will be tortured. And no one will be killed. They're being openly and freely baptized as a family. I never dreamed that God could do such things. I never believed that I would live to see a miracle like this. I couldn't help smiling as I turned my eyes back toward the baptismal font of the church. And a few seconds later, I noticed Samira glance around the congregation, looking confused and a little troubled. When she caught my eyes, she leaned toward me and said, why aren't all the people standing, she wanted to know. What do you mean, I whispered back. Why aren't all these people standing and cheering and clapping at such a miracle from God? I think that I'm about to burst with joy. I think I'm about to shout. So I nearly laughed out loud. Go ahead, sister. If you want to shout, I'll shout with you. For a minute or so, she looked like she might, but she didn't. And neither did I. But Ruth and I started crying with tears running down our faces as we saw this young woman react to what God had done. Being able to meet like this is an incredible freedom. It's not like this in most places of the world. We ought to be very thankful. Okay, then one second story. This story is about Dmitri. Dmitri is from Russia. 
in Russia, he was in a small town. Uh, their local church was like three or four miles away. They didn't have any way to get down there. So they'd go to church about two or three times a year. That was it. Uh, but Dmitri, his heart began to stir that his boys weren't being raised knowing Jesus. And so because of that, he talks to his wife and says, you know what, we ought, to, we ought to read the Bible together and pray together and sing together so that our kids can know about Jesus. Now, this is in communist Russia, right? Um, and so they begin to do this with their boys. They'd have evening times, you know, once a week, sharing Bible stories, learning Bible stories, singing, and, and doing all this kind of thing. Um, the neighbors around him begin to hear what's going on in Dmitri's house. Guess what they say? Can we come and be with you too as you do this? He says, well, I'm not trained. I'm not a pastor. I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but sure, you can come. And so pretty soon, a group of 25 people were gathering at his house for prayer, for study, for worship, for praise. Um, now, the Gestapo get, get wind of this, right? There is an, an unregistered church meeting in Dimitri's house. And so they go, and one of the leaders there confronts Dimitri and says, you better stop this or we will send you to prison. And he kind of grabs Dimitri and he turns to kind of walk out of the, the place. And a, a babushka, a grandmother, stands up and says, do not handle the man of God. Because you've handled the man of God, you will not live. A few days later, that guy has a heart attack and dies. And the group of 25 grows to 150 in his house as God begins to work. Well, now the Russian authorities can't ignore this, right? So they take him, they throw him in prison. He's in prison with 1,500 horrible criminals. And every morning he gets up and starts with a hymn of praise to God. Facing east, the sunrise, he sings a, praise of him, a hymn of praise to God. And the 1,500 criminals... They do whatever they can to shut him up. They throw whatever they have available, and sometimes it's like poop, right? They, they're just, they're mocking him. They're saying, be quiet, you know, don't, blah, 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 right? And so they're doing this to him, and he's in prison, like, for 15 years with all these criminals. Every day he gets up and does this. Every day, if he can find a scrap of paper, he'll write Bible stories and scripture lessons and verses on it and they'll take it away, and they'll throw it away, and they'll beat him up. And one time, he finally, he fi you know, he's been in prison 15, 17 years. He finds a blank sheet of paper, like a whole sheet of paper, and a pencil right there. He takes those. He fills it up with all the Bible stories he knows and places it, you know, in his cell. And they, the, guys, the guys come in. They take it. They tear it down. They shred it up. They throw it away, and they beat him up. They tell him, We're, if you're not careful, you're about to be dead. We're about to execute you. And they take Dimitri up, and they begin to take him out of the prison into the courtyard so they can continue to beat him up. And 1,500 men stand up, face east in their cell, and sing the song they have heard Dimitri sing for the last 15 to 18 years. And the prisoners are stunned, or the, the prison workers are stunned. They say, who are you? 
And he says, I am a son of the living God, and Jesus is his name. Dimitri is a story of someone who endured. We're called to endure as well. And he had low times. He almost confessed to not being a Christian so he could get out and see his family. But the Holy Spirit let him hear the prayers of his wife and kids and know that they were okay and that he could keep going. Just amazing story. Why can't we also have that mentality to endure all things in uncertain times? Because if we endure, we will find our souls, our life, and our future. Uh, you know, someone asked, often tells me, what's Revelation all about? Isn't it like the hardest book to understand? You really read Revelation? It's the easiest book to understand because it's just that verse we just said. By endurance, you will save your soul. That's Revelation in one verse. That's who we're to be. So let's go be it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and love today. We just pray that you will give us that courage and endurance trust in you no matter what comes. We have it so easy here in the United States, and we do thank you for that. We are blessed for that. But Lord, it leads us even more. We need a strong, enduring mentality that will fight through the challenges of this life and the uncertainties of this world, knowing that you are good, you will watch out for the hairs on our head, and that you will give us life if cling to you like Dimitri and like Samira. So Lord, help us follow you and follow them, no matter where it leads and no matter when you return.